Hello, and welcome to Science Unscripted. It's Connor with you again. And Gabe. And we have an email from one of our longtime listeners. Yeah, from good old Jim, who's, who's ripped us apart in the past, I'll be honest. Yeah. Hey, guys. It's been a long time, but you've managed to survive this long, so I have to give you props for longevity. That is true in the media business, yeah. Oh, four years? That's pretty four good. Four years is like 40 years elsewhere. Yeah. Here's my warning regarding AI. The more we use it, the less future we retain, as the future is only a concept, and AI is quite a bit more powerful intellectually than we humans, so give up your mental sovereignty at your own peril. By the way... Your emailer critique of your use of AI was spot on and really intelligent. Follow his advice, please. I'd rather see your hackneyed image drawn on the spot of a kid gazing skyward because it would reflect aspects of you. Thanks for raising the flag for humanity, pathetic as we are. Now, everybody, find your pencils, pens, crayons, etc., and get busy practicing your art. I love that idea. If we had uh. YouTube thumbnails... And the primary image was my drawing, my, my attempt. You are a good drawer. No, no I, I'm absolutely not. Better than I. I'm not sure that's true. We, we have a couple in the department who could put some good stuff together. But uh, in general, yeah, that'd be amazing and beautiful and really creative. Mm. And to repeat what we finished the show talking about last time. Lack of time. Yeah, what we will do to the absolute extent possible is to avoid any AI-created imagery. Because that is problematic, and it's based on the backs of illustrators and artists everywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we took the image down in question that Sam uh, on YouTube asked us to. Mm -hmm. So that's that's done. Yeah. And again, thank you, Sam. Thank you, Jim. Your emails, your messages, even when they're critical, or especially when they're critical, change, change this show yeah, and make it better. So speaking of things that are... AI created or, or digitally created, not created by humans. That leads us into our next topic here. And to get into it, I'm going to play us or play for everyone. Gabe, this is a piece of music you've never heard. Mm-hmm. It's from the music network that Gabe and I use pretty much every week for this show. It's called Audio Network. And it has, I think, a quarter million songs in there. You can choose songs to pick the mood. These are not songs that you would hear on the radio. We're, we, for copyright reasons, mm-hmm. it's, you can't use those. You put them on YouTube, and then it gets struck down. So we use underground. Some, yeah, me. yeah. We use copyright-free music, but it's a huge database. There's some good stuff in there, and then there's stuff like this song that I'm going to play for you. And Gabe, you haven't heard this. None of our listeners have heard it. I think there's a problem with this song, and all you have to do is listen to it to figure out what that problem is. I don't recognize the, the song. It's not a song you would recognize. So I was considering that song yeah. because it happens to be that every time I click into this audio network, it's number one. So it's the first one I see. I've heard it a couple times. The reason I've never used it on this show is that it's too perfect. That song is not human. There's something fundamentally wrong with it, and it's that everything lines up too perfectly on the beat in a way that just doesn't feel right. So that beat is a is is basically a metronome. And I I, I was got it. Oh, I, okay, so it has to do with the beat. Not just the beat. It's every instrument lines up with that metronome too. This was my suspicion when I heard it. This, this was my gut feeling. Okay. And then I went back and was like, let me because this is going to connect to a study now or soon. But 
to figure that out, I, want, I wanted to see if I could actually prove that, and I did. What I did is I pulled up a metronome, and I kept toggling it until I could figure out if the beats, if I could line it up perfectly. So here's a metronome at 115 beats per minute. Yeah. You're going to hear eight metronome clicks, and then we'll see if it lines up with the song. Yeah, very rigid. It's it's right on. And I'm not going to subject I'm not going to subject you and our listeners to all 2 minutes and 20 seconds of that song, but by the very end of the song, mm-hmm. that metronome has has not moved a millisecond off the beat. It is a metronome based song using a computer to do that because the fact is human beings can't do that. So there was not a human being playing the drums here in perfect bump. We can't. We cannot possibly do that. Really? And we human beings can also hear that. Now, of course, so why why would you use that instead of using real drums to make a song these days? Well, to use real drums, you used to have to go into a really expensive studio, rent it for lots of money. Well, the same reason why we would use an AI-generated photo. Image. It's fast. It's it's easy. You can can create a lot of sound that way, but it sounds fundamentally off because it's not human based. So when we humans try to make music, we do our best at it. Mm-hmm. We're just we're slightly off. Yeah. Either a little too fast or a little too slow and I think the That's best That's why we love Bob Dylan's voice. He tries. And... <laughs> I'm not sure if it's that. <laughs> if that's why we love Bob Dylan. Good reasons to like him. Mm. So if you take that first per- piece of music that we had, which yeah. was too perfect, the logic would be let's make it imperfect or which would make it sound more human by introducing random variations. Right, okay. So sometimes the beat's a little too fast, yeah. and sometimes it's a little too slow, but it's completely random. And that was, let's say, phase one of how to make computer music sound more human. does not work. People do not like it. Huh. And it's, you have to then wonder, why, why would we not like that if it's close to being human? Well, the answer is, that's not what human beings do. And that takes us to, it's basically a press release from the Max Planck Institute, which is connected to research that's been going on for a decade now. And we're basically over in Göttingen, Germany. Yeah. They brought a guy from Ghana in, a musician, gave him a bongo drum. Yeah. And they wanted him to hit a beat on the metronome. And that's all, what they were looking for is not where he got it right, where did he get it wrong, and how did he get it wrong. Yeah. On average, he was 10 to 20 milliseconds off. Yeah. And he tended to anticipate the metronome by 16 milliseconds. But what was interesting was that he did it differently oh, in, in, in sequences. Um, it wasn't random. It wasn't a little bit ahead, a little bit behind. It was across long time scales. He'd get behind yeah. and then he'd catch up. Can a machine learn those mistakes? Yes. It, that's, this is a fractal pattern. Okay. And it doesn't just happen, let's say, at the 30-second mark and then the minute mark. It repeats. It's, it cycles. The, the researchers compare this to looking at a snowflake. So you can map our inadequacies using numbers. You can. With machine learning, then create a human beat? That's, that's exactly what they have done. So Holger wow. Hennig is the lead researcher behind this, the yeah. guy from Göttingen. He was also at Harvard when they did part of this at Harvard. Um, he says, for example, the drummer plays ahead of the beat for 30 consecutive beats, while half a minute earlier he tended to play slightly behind the metronome clicks. These trends are pleasant to the ear, which again is just wild. Why? Why would that be the case that we like it? Doesn't matter, we do. And so they tried applying this idea to music, and lo and behold, anywhere from two out of three people to, to four out of five preferred computery sounding music yeah. preferred this um, this humanized aspect to it, this human plugin. So 
the latest development, and hence the new press release, because again, they've been doing this work for over a decade, is that that was something that was done in a lab and tested, and then just sat there for a decade, basically. Mm. Nobody did anything with this information or with this tool, with the sound. Recently, it's called Mixed in Key. They're based in Florida. They created a plugin called the Human Plugin. And basically, if you're someone out there who makes music on your own, you've, you've got your software already. You, that's the one you use. Mm-hmm. You pay like $50. I'm not trying to market it for this company. I don't care. But to grab this and then apply it to what you've already made. To the entire audio track or just to the drum beat? You can do it to anything because we humans, with this vari- the, we humans, this variation is everything. It's a drum beat. It's how you play the guitar. It's how you play the bass. It's how you sing. Yeah. And so you can apply it to different parts of the track. I'll give you two examples that they have up on their website. And it makes anything that you create more listenable. So I could take, let's say, some of my own you know, demo tracks out there and apply this thing to those demo tracks. And then all out, of a sudden they're... Out there where? <laughs> where are your demo tracks so our listeners can find them? No, if you have... And I doubt you've done this. If you've created music that sound, that's very rigid yeah. because it's been made by a computer, you could apply it to those individual tracks. You, can't, you can't take a finished recorded piece, mm-hmm. I don't think, and do it. But here's what they did here. Two examples. The first one is what they call chill melodic house music. Right. And first you're going to hear the bad version, the computer version. Okay. I, was, I was prompted, but I, yeah, I could yeah. hear that. Perfect that's kind of inhuman, yeah. Perfect beat. Here comes part two where they've applied the filter. Yeah, a little more rounded. Can, can you hear that? It's Well, I, again, I've been prompted, so I, I knew it was yeah. coming. But yeah, I think it sounded a little... Yeah, what I notice, I think... A little smoother? Is that... And I... I read this long review of a drummer when I was trying to figure out exactly what the terms um, dragging and rushing meant. And they have all this lingo that I couldn't possibly emulate. You know, the chorus comes and you sit into it. You sit as a drummer, you sit into the chorus. Mm -hmm. Sometimes he intentionally lags behind the musician. Sometimes he jumps ahead of all this stuff. Um, And I feel like in the the quote-unquote chorus or whatever part of the verse, it slows a bit in a natural way. As long as you know what you're doing, there's a sense of confidence that you're in control. Yeah. Then, yeah. Then yeah. the mistakes work. One last example, vocal R&B pop. We're just going to go straight from the computer version to the humanized plug-in version. So this is the human version? Well, no. No, no. We're going to go straight from the computer version okay. Got it. into the human version. Got it. I took a leap in the deep and never again. If I can love you harder, I guess we're wasting time. I took a leap in the deep and never again If I can love you harder, I guess we're wasting time Sometimes we try to force it, good things can die That one was hard to hear. That one is harder. There's one moment where it feels like the vocalist waits for the beat to come and hangs a second, I thought, until the vocals come. Got but it. again, you kind of have to know it. it. It's a feeling, though. And I just think... If there's any message for all of our listeners out there, it's that if you hear a song and something sounds wrong, you can't really place it. It's probably been created using a metronome Mm. or whatever original musical inputs went into the computer. They've been corrected too much. It's too perfect. We don't like that. Nobody wants to hear that. That's not human. I don't know if it's disturbing now that there's software to take inhuman music and make it human. Mm. But that is where we are. I and do love the idea that we, we 
that our our own mistakes sound good. Yes, I like that. Yeah, I loved also, and I'm, yeah. I'm uh, last thing I'll say on this topic. Uh, they talk about the fact that there are different clocks in the brain, circadian clocks. We have all these different clocks, and then it's not just us, and that some long-range correlations in auditory nerve firing in us humans, it's the same as in cats, our brain waves and our heart rate during sleep do kind of the same thing. They have this nice line, Mm. head, heart, and hand march to the same drummer. We are wrong or off in the best way. All right, real quick before we go, study done right here in Bonn, Germany, on why people deny climate change despite consensus across the board among scientists that human beings are to blame for the warming of the planet yes we are yeah a third of humanity doesn't believe in it and they wanted to figure out what's going on they had a group of four thousand adults in the u.s separated into two groups in the first group you were given twenty dollars and you had to donate it to a an ngo Wow, that's an expensive... To fight the climate. Okay, that's an expensive study, but go on. In the second group, given $20, they could either give that money to one of these NGOs or keep it for themselves, right? Mm -hmm. And half of the people in that group kept the $20 for themselves. Now, they wanted to see among all the people in either group, they they had their beliefs assessed with regard to climate change. Do you believe that human beings are responsible for it? Because it was a random assessment, those beliefs should be equal, right? On, both groups going in are going to have the same Doesn't attitudes, opinions. Doesn't matter what you're in, yeah. should be the same because it was a random assessment. Okay, but afterwards. They wanted to see what happened in the group with the people that decided to take the $20, right? Do they repudiate climate change? In order yeah. to justify their behavior. Well, they've got, they've got some serious cognitive dissonance going on. 20 bucks. They, they took the $20. T- yeah. yeah. So they went in to check and there was no difference. Oh. None. Right? So that, that assumption has been made that people justify their behavior and hence their beliefs are a, a consequence of that in order to make their self-image or their themselves feel better about their behavior well if you okay if you don't or i'm sorry if you want to keep acting the way you've always been acting yeah driving the vehicles you've always driven flying engaging eating whatever you want to eat then it'd be easier not to believe that those things that you're doing ca- cause it makes climate it, change but it, this it, repudiates that yes it makes it possible for those people if if this is the case that they are consciously deceiving themselves they're deciding not to believe in climate change then yeah, but this study goes against that. It okay. says that people are not deceiving themselves in order to justify their own behavior. So it's something else. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a brutal truth mm. to, to realize that my behavior and people like me, their behavior too, we're altering this planet in ways that we're, we're not even sure we can, we can model at this point. What this study says is that it's not a, a simple psychological trick. You're not just making yourself feel better, at least if this study is, is true, if the results can correspond to the real world, then this could be good news because that means that people, it, it would be, it, I think it would be harder to unlearn these psychological tricks right. than to, I don't know, possibly disseminate information better, get better information out there, reach more people when it comes to, yeah, our role in the warming planet. In, in one of the crises of our times <laughs> yeah. that has to be resolved. Any questions or, or, or comments on that aspect of, of climate change, kind of human psychology and climate change, or the music we were just talking about? By the way, our technician informed me that that song is basically a ripoff 
of Huey Lewis in the News. Mm-hmm. I think The Power of Love, apparently in the movie Back to the Future. Yeah. And that uh, he played a clip for us. It's, it's, it's spot on. It is a ripoff. In addition to being like a computer-generated thing as well. Strike against it. So we're going to play that again for you now. Yeah. And, and you tell with, us which one's better, the actual version or the AI version? Which, which one are we playing now? We don't have copyright access to the original. <laughs> so we're going to keep on going with the audio network, um, sorry, ripoff of a great song. <laughs> And this one today is about secrets. Why don't we, or why do we keep so many? Why don't we divulge them? Why don't we just get it off our chest, tell people, look, I'm actually not a very, I'm a very imperfect person. And yet we don't do that. It's because we think that the people that we're revealing those secrets to, they're going to think way worse about us. <laughs> He's a piece of garbage. Yeah. He's oh human my garbage. God. <laughs> I hate <laughs> Person. No, it's it's not as bad as you think when you reveal secrets. Science unscripted. Uh, I'm Amit Kumar. Uh, I'm an assistant professor of marketing and psychology at the University of Texas at Austin, and I recently conducted a few studies on uh, secrecy. And Amit, why are you studying secrets? Um, so there's lots of studies that have been done on secrets. It turns out that keeping negative information secret from other people can carry a psychological burden with it. Uh, It can negatively affect people's well-being. Um, And so we want to understand why people keep secrets in the first place and uh, perhaps whether they should as often as they do. Yeah, secrets feel terrible to have inside you. What was the conclusion of this particular study that you did? So we conducted lots of experiments, but the broad uh, conclusion was that part of the reason people are keeping secrets is because They want to protect their reputation. They're worried about how other people are going to evaluate them. Um, But what we found in our studies is that uh, people actually expect that they'll be judged more harshly than they really are when they actually reveal this kind of information compared to when we're just kind of imagining how these interactions will go. What kind of secrets are we talking about here? Uh, So we studied a a broad range of secrets. Uh, Often we had people you know, just come up with a secret that they were keeping from other people. Uh, So I guess broadly, they'd be um, things that people have done or thoughts that people have had that are embarrassing or that they're not proud of, um, behaviors they regret, actions they wish they could undo, um, temptations that they wish they didn't have. Um, To give you some concrete examples, um, some of these are kind of minor Um, So uh, eating snacks at night without telling your partner, eating chocolate uh, without telling someone else. Um, But some of them are more serious. There were things like uh, uh, infidelity and romantic relationships as well. And across the board, the consequences of revealing that secret weren't as bad as the people revealing the secret thought they were going to be? Exactly. Yeah. So the way we set up our experiment is you come up or or the various experiments that we did is you reveal before you. So you come up with a secret that you're keeping from someone else, something that you haven't shared with this person. um, And then you tell us your expectations. You predict how that person will respond once you share that secret with them. Then we have people actually share that secret with them. And we ask those people how they truly evaluated them. And yes, the basic result is that 
um, uh, people are more charitable uh, uh, in terms of how they evaluate uh, the person revealing the secret um, than that revealer expected. Is it fair to say that if I reveal a secret to someone and I say, hey, just to let you know, you know, secretly I've been, I don't know, smoking cigarettes and I haven't told anyone about it. That's my secret. Now I'm telling you that that compared to, hey, um, I've been engaging in infidelity or, or criminal activity or murder. Right. There has this is a scale. And that if I reveal that secret, um, I'm going to be judged probably least harshly for the let's say the cigarette smoking, which has no consequences. That ha- that has to be true. Right. Yeah, so sometimes we look at people's past behavior, like if you used to tell, used to smoke cigarettes and you never uh, told your current partner about that, um, you know, you might get some positive benefit from being transparent and also uh, the fact that you've kind of grown, that you've changed over time or having, maybe if you express remorse for, for what you've done. Uh, we didn't have any instances of people revealing that they murdered another person, and so I can't speak to, to that specific uh, example. But I think uh, what you're getting at and what might be interesting to talk about is, well, why? Why are people so off the mark in their expectations? Why is it so hard for people to reveal this, this information? Why are we so scared to share, to share things about ourselves? Or... Yeah, so we actually get at that with our experiments. Um, uh, so one of the reasons, it turns out, is because of what uh, the revealers are focused on versus what the recipients of this information are primarily focused on. Um, So there's a difference in perspective, essentially, that creates uh, these kind of miscalibrated expectations or mistaken beliefs. It turns out that we, when we're a potential revealer, we're primarily focusing on sort of the negative aspects of the information that we're conveying. What's the thing that we did that we were keeping secret? Um, What we're not fully taking into account is that we're also revealing positive things about ourselves from that act of revelation, that we are an open person, that we're an honest person, that we trust the person that we're revealing this information to, that we're uh, willing to be vulnerable. Those are all positive attributes that also come out uh, when you're revealing something negative. So if I reveal a secret to someone, obviously the quality of my character might drop because I've told someone I, I in the past have done something bad or I'm still doing something bad. And yet my honesty levels kind of mitigate that because, or in the sense of them viewing me, hey, Connor is an honest person. I can trust this guy. He might have done some bad stuff or is still doing it, but I can trust him. He's honest. Yeah, I think that's a, a good way of putting it, that we're focused on the negative content. Um, and the other people are focused on that as well. Uh, certainly, we're not suggesting that they're not thinking about whatever it is that you are revealing. Um, but they focus more broadly. They're focused on the content being revealed, but then also your decision to reveal this information. And that's what seems to lead to these more charitable evaluations than what, uh, uh, than um, the, the kind of overly concerned negative expectations that potential revealers tend to have. Does your research lighten the psychological load of keeping a secret inside me? Is that, is that the whole not point of it, but one of the results of it. If I know it's okay to divulge more of these secrets, which, you know, they weigh on you. I don't know how you measure that, but they weigh on you inside you, that more people are more likely to do that and hence we're less psychologically burdened. Yeah, so uh, obviously we don't know that on a broad scale. We don't know the, you know, the, the results of this study just came out and we don't know if all of a sudden people are being more open and honest, but um, we know that uh, these kinds of uh, misguided beliefs or expectations that people have 
um, could be leaving them with sort of this heavier burden of secrecy than might be ideal for their own well-being. And so if we want to improve well, uh, people's well-being, um, they might err in the direction of revealing a bit more, concealing a bit less. Um, and I guess just to pause for a second for how we actually measure that, um, we actually look at people's moods before they reveal the secret and after they reveal the secret. Uh, and it turns out that people feel... Um, uh, more relieved, essentially, once they've um, revealed this information to someone else. I mean, based on your research on divulging secrets, when and where and how to do it, what tips can you give people out there for, for how they should divulge their own secrets to other people? That's actually a tough one for, for several reasons, because we didn't vary sort of how people were doing it, sort of the the way in which they revealed these secrets. We just let them do it however they chose. And of course, the result is that um, they overestimate how harshly they'll be judged by uh, other people. I actually think that focusing too much on that can add to the problems that we've been talking about. So if you're really worried about getting it just right, uh, how exactly you'll do it, you might not do it at all. You might like think, I got to wait till the perfect time to reveal this information or something like that. And that can actually stand in the way of going ahead and doing this thing uh, that might relieve some of these negative psychological feelings you have from hiding it uh, from other people. So one tip would be to maybe not ask yourself those questions and instead um, just think about being a little bit more transparent, opening up uh, in your relationships with other people. I mean, do you have any secrets that you want to divulge with us today? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll reveal a secret that actually is an exception to our rule to bring up a point uh, that uh, maybe is worth talking about as well. Um, so I'm uh, expecting a child shortly. You probably didn't know that about me. Amit! That's a great secret. I guess one thing I'll note is that's a positive secret. That's a little bit different from what we've been talking about. And so that says... Uh, something about kind of how broadly these uh, results apply as well. It turns out they don't apply to positive information we're keeping secret. Can I ask the the roughly the due date? How long till you uh, become a dad or have a, another child? I don't know. Uh, become it's the first time. Uh, so uh, she, it's a girl, uh, will be born sometime in April, most likely. <laughs> okay, congratulations. Primavera. <laughs> that was Amit Kumar speaking to us from Austin, Texas, the University of Texas at Austin. And what I know, because Gabe, you hinted at this earlier, is that you're gonna, you've got a, a secret that you're going to... Yeah, this has been hounding me for a long, long time. And this is something I don't know, because I know, I mean... You know, you know I, everything about me. We yeah. have shared more information with one another than... <laughs> way more than with my partner. Anyway. Okay, so this is a secret. When I, when I thought about this topic, and I knew I had a feeling you were going to ask me, okay, you got to reveal a secret, and I thought about a secret that's been in me for a long time. My dad never got a hole-in-one, and he thinks he got a hole-in-one in golf. So hole three, <laughs> hole three at Rock River Country Club in Horicon, Wisconsin. It was really cold that day. It was snowing. Yeah. And we teed off on hole three, and it's near the parking lot. So he went to get the car because oh, we, yeah, we were going to yeah. quit and drive home. Yeah. He hit a four iron right into the wind, right at the pin. Right? The ball was going straight at the pin. And I went <laughs> And then he walks off to the car. He and goes you to walk the car. You walk he over. goes to the car, drives up and picks me up and I and I was jumping around screaming, You got a hole in one. You got a hole in one, Dad. The ball was in the hole. 
but you'd found it somewhere else and you walked it over? It was 50 yards over the green. <laughs> he, he never got a hole in one. He thinks he got a hole in one. At that point, at that point, I, I, I had a hole in one and I wanted him to have a hole in one too. Oh, you, previously, like I like got a hole in one when I was eight years okay. old. When I was, it was how, crazy. How old were you when you when you did this, or when you ten, eleven, twelve, somewhere yeah, in there? Come on, that's you don't have to feel bad about that. I mean, I know why you. My feel dad bad thinks about he that. got a hole. He does. He doesn't have a hole in one. Does he watch? Is he is he watching this? No, <laughs> he doesn't even know how to find these things on, on the internet or uh, on YouTube. But um, d- dad, if you're watching this right now, I'm sorry. You, <laughs> <laughs> you never got a hole in one. DW, made for minds.